The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. It is my great privilege uh, to get back into uh, the book of Matthew. Um, And so throughout this series, we've been doing a little prelude. um, And so we're going to do it again. You can either just say amen at the end if you want to join me in saying it because you know it off by heart. That'd be great. But this is God's word. He is who he says he is. He has done what he says he has done, and he will do what he says he will do. Amen? Amen. Let's read our passage this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 38 down to 48. It says this, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would come and borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we have been in this series uh, for a few weeks. It's going to be going for 16, I think, in total. Uh, And we're just walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has been teaching throughout the day. Um, Followers have come with him up onto a mountainside. And um, over a period of, this is not just one sermon, but over a period of of weeks and months, this is what Jesus' regular pattern would be. He would go up, his disciples would follow, and he just teaches them. And so what... Uh, the authors of the Bible, what the eyewitnesses have done is they've collated this into this thing that we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And so in here, um, there are just so many practical things. I don't know if you've noticed as you've been with us for a while, this, this kind of just speaks into everyday life stuff. And I love that Jesus is so practical and so helpful. But essentially in this part of the, the book and of his sermon, the way it's been collated, what he's been doing is, is he's been taking Old Testament law and particularly the interpretation of that law. And so he'll say, you have heard it said, so that the Jewish people around are going, yeah, that's how we've heard that, not just said vocally, but in terms of it's been taught that way. And then he says with his own authority, but I say to you. And so what we have here is two sayings where Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so what Jesus wants to do is go, that's what you were taught. Let me explain to you what was really meant by that. And then as my kingdom people, this is how we apply that. And so what we need to do to understand what Jesus is doing is we need to go back to the beginning where it was first said. Then we need to look at how the Pharisees and the scribes are applying that so that we can see what Jesus has to say. So let's start with going back to the day of Moses. Okay? Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, even today's day, we've, we probably know that. If you're with us and you're not a Christian, you've probably heard even this before. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
Now, when we hear that, we tend to think that that was written in a way that is in the negative. If someone does this to you, you do that to them. But actually, when you go back to the Old Testament law and the way it was implemented, it's actually the opposite. It's supposed to be a positive. It was put into God's instruction to protect those who are experiencing injustice. And so the first law we see is written in Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 19. And there are really three reasons why God brings this into his law. The first is to establish an equitable justice system. When a crime was committed, it is supposed to therefore be brought to a judge who would hear the parties, weigh the evidence, and then if, if you stole that person's sheep or you killed their cow, then the judge would say, okay, well, we need to make this equitable. You owe them a cow. Now, in our day, who, who, gets, the, like, who gets rung out in, in, the, in the justice system? It's, it's the marginalized, it's the poor, and it's the voiceless. It's been this way since Adam and Eve fell. That those who don't have influence, those who don't have money, those who don't have power, their voice gets stifled out and no one speaks up for them. And so what God does is God goes, that's not fair, that's not right. And so in Moses' day, those who had influence, those who had power could go and do whatever they want and they would just say, oh, he did this, she did that. And everyone would go, well, Bob said that happened, that must have happened. And so God comes in and goes, no, that's, that's not how this works. So what he's doing in this law is actually giving a voice to the voiceless to say, hang on, everybody gets a chance to bring their stuff into the court and a judge would weigh that and not be biased and say, well, we're going to weigh the evidence and if you took an eye, then you owe an eye. And we're going to give equitable justice. It is also there to help prevent self-appointed vigilante action. I don't know about you, but I love vigilante action. And whenever I watch a movie and some superhero is doing something where they're taking justice in their own arms, I'm like, I wish I could be that guy. Like, it has been a dream of mine for my whole life just to have one game of rugby league where some dude put a big hit on one of our guys and I come over and then I drop that sucker. And, uh, and it's just never going to happen. And I've had to come to realize... I'm just always going to be a weakling. I'm the guy who gets dropped. So whenever I watch these movies, I'm like, oh, I, want to, I just want to be able to hurt someone one day. I just want to be able to do something. And I just, I'm never going to be able to. Um, so I just, you know, I just sit there and just take it. I'm the victim. <laughs> but this is to stop people taking law into their own hands. When, when you feel the weight of injustice... That's when we're tempted to go, well, right, if no one's going to speak up and do something about it, well, I, I am. And again, if we can use movie illustrations, how many times have you watched a movie where a dad loses a child through some, you know, some mistake, some accident, that, that particular uh, first suspect gets brought into the police station and kind of gets let off and dad can't handle it, so dad goes and takes action, takes the law into his own hands, kills that person, does something stupid to them, only to find out that that person was actually innocent all along. Right? This, is, this is what he's doing. He's like, hey, we don't do that here. Now, in, in their society, in an ancient society, that is not happening. That doesn't happen in Persia. That doesn't happen in Egypt. That doesn't happen in Babylon. That doesn't happen anywhere. Everybody takes action. Everybody takes the law into their own hands. And so what actually happens is, 
Israel becomes known as the most equitable justice system in the world. And in fact, our current constitution, the way we run things, is built upon the Judeo-Christian worldview of how they did justice systems. It's not perfect because we have sinful, broken people, but it's how it happened. It is to limit escalation and severe retaliation and retribution. So someone comes and steals one of your sheep, so you send your kid out to go and get their sheep back, and guess what? Now they get in a fight and they hit their, their kid's son. And now that dad's like, well, you hit my son. It's going to come over and do this to your family. And then they're going to go, well, you do that to my family. And all of a sudden, we, we, we're at war. And Jesus is sort of coming here and, and applying this to their context to remind them, hey, this is, this is why this was put here, to stop retaliation, to stop us from getting vengeful. Now, when are we most likely to make bad decisions? You've all heard the halt principle, right? When you're hungry. Any, any men here love, love going shopping to Westfield on a starving stomach? <laughs> we're, the best, we're the best friends, aren't we? Even, even my son, he's like, he's, he's, he's me, but he's younger. He's like, I hate going to the shops. Why? Because it's hours and I'm starving and I'm miserable. When we're angry. When we're lonely, when we're tired, halt. It is never good to make any decision in any of those states. You don't want to make a decision when you're absolutely high. You don't want to make a decision when you're absolutely low because we indefinitely will make bad decisions. So God comes in and says, revenge breeds revenge. Hate breeds hate. So we have to put a stop so this thing doesn't just keep on escalating. Now again, in our culture, who gets the raw end of the justice system? It's the urban poor, or it's the marginalized in society who don't have a voice. They don't have money to pay for lawyers. <laughs> who gets away with injustice? It's the majority culture, it's the influential, it's the wealthy, and it's the same in Moses' day. So this law is brought in to establish an equitable justice system. This is not Go out and get revenge. If they take your eye, you take theirs. That's not the heart of the law. It's actually, hang on, let's think through what would be justice in this situation. Let's weigh it. Let's sift through it. So again, this is a picture of God protecting the marginalized. It's a picture of God protecting the poor. It's a picture of God helping restrain the sinful human nature. So what are the Pharisees then doing with this? Well, the Pharisees are not just saying that this is... Uh, something from the law to help protect. Actually, they're individualizing it. So they're saying, this is, not, this is not a rule for the court of law, this is a rule for your life, your individual life. And that's not how Moses applied it. Moses said, no, this is for the justice system. This isn't for you to do whenever you want. No, no, this needs to be in the court of law. The Pharisees are individualizing it, but not only that, they are insisting on it. So they are saying, hey, listen, he took your sheep, go take his sheep. That's your right. That's your inalienable right. It's written in the book. If they do that, you do that. And so they're doing the exact opposite of what the law was there to do, which was to restrain, to protect, to help. Not only that, but with the other rule, the other law, they add to it. So verse 43 said, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Read the whole Old Testament. You don't find a single mention of hating enemies. But they were like, Well... If he says, love your neighbor, then what do we do with our enemies? 
And so they've come in and said, well, we must hate them. And so what we see in this particular context is the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the, the high righteous people of culture, are taking God's law and they're twisting it. And they're using it in a way which is not according to the kingdom, not according to its purpose. Think about the Good Samaritan story, right? The Good Samaritan story is Jesus' response to a bunch of people who are saying, well, who is my neighbor? How am I to love my neighbor? And God's response through Jesus essentially is, whoever's in need is your neighbor. Whoever's right next to you at this point in time is your neighbor. And if you're on your way and someone's over there, like how many of you bypassed a broken down car today? Shame on you. Okay, no, I'm only joking. Some of you are like, whoa, really? That was a joke, okay? Our neighbor is whoever God puts in our path. And the Pharisees had created all of these neighborly distinctions. Well, it can't be the Samaritans because they're half-breeds. They don't follow God's way, so that can't can't be our neighbor. Our neighbor essentially is whoever we get on well with. You know, those easy people? The one who agree with all of our our worldviews and... And Jesus is going to say to them, no, that's, that's not how this thing works. So now we get to Jesus. Now what Jesus says here, we have uh, two, I think, instinctive reactions to it. Some of us will go, well, you've got to do what he says. And we need to, need to take it very literally. And some people have done that in the past. Others of us will go, well, he can't, he can't mean that in a literal sense, so then we ignore it. And I think both ditches we want to avoid. It's not that we are to take it absolutely literal in every sense. We want to hear what he's trying to get at, okay? We've been seeing this all the way through. Jesus is using very hyperbolic language to make important points. But we also don't want to overreact to that and go, well, let's dismiss what he says. Because what he says is important to Jesus and his kingdom. And so Jesus comes up with a bunch of examples of how this is to work. So he says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And he goes on to say, But here's what I say. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, to slap on the right cheek is, in Jewish culture, that's an insult. Um, That's a way of publicly humiliating somebody else. So if we think about the most probably famous slap we've all ever seen, okay? Even in the context of where that is, if you, I've got a number of uh, people of color, friends in the States, who would say that an open hand slap of another person of color to another person of color is an absolute insult. And so that the vitriol that came back to Will Smith is not just because he slapped, it's because of what it meant to them, which is you humiliated another brother in front of the whole world. And so even his own community turned against him. Right? This is, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. There are people who will slap you across your right cheek and they will insult you and they will seek to humiliate you. <laughs> what is your natural instinctive response when someone seeks to humiliate you? Mine is probably not what Jesus says to do. Turn the other cheek. In other words... Don't get caught up in the insult game. Don't retaliate. (laughs) What Jesus says is, it's an insult. 
And if you know who you are, he's going to go on to say that you are your father's child. If you know who you are in God, you know who you are. So people can say all sorts of things about you. People can try to insult you. And you're like, it doesn't harm you. Why? Because you know who you are. You know who your father says you are, and you serve an audience of one. And if the, if the father of the entire universe says something about you and somebody else says something different, well, okay, I'm with the majority, you're in the minority. Don't react. We don't get our value from what others say about us. We get our value from who God says we are. So we're secure. He goes on to say, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, a first century Jewish man would have worn a loincloth, a tunic, a cloak, an outer garment, a girdle, a head covering, and sandals. Okay? That's the typical first century Jewish sort of clothing for a man. Right? The idea of a cloak, however, actually in, in the Old Testament, they put laws in. Because so many people were homeless, the outer garment became something that would actually cover them up at night when they don't have somewhere to sleep. It becomes almost like a pillowcase or a sleeping bag, or something that they can put over them and help them in times when they don't have it. So a law is put in that if someone, if someone was to rob, that's really, really bad. But if you go and take their, this, this cloak, like that's their inalienable right. You don't get to do that. So the law was even harsher for people who would do that. So what Jesus does here is he says, hey, you have rights. That the culture has said are your rights. And what I tell you is the king is that we don't live according to rights. We gave up our rights when we became followers of Jesus, and now we just serve his purposes, and we aren't trying to stand up for our rights and what is ours and what belongs to us. I, I used to work at uh, City Beach. I've, I've said this a number of times, and I saw a big shift um, over time where, where young teenagers realized that they had this right that was theirs that you couldn't check their bag, and these teenagers' minds, as they started to work out, huh, I can steal anything and whack it in this bag and zip it up. I can do it in front of you. And as soon as it's zipped up, you cannot touch my bag. That's my right. I used to love these guys, so I'd slap them. No, I wouldn't. Um, and I'd get really frustrated because I'm like, I just saw you steal that. And you're going to walk out and the buzzers are going to go off. And you're just like, my right. Our culture is all about rights. And what the kingdom says is the only right that the Christian has is not a good right. You and I as Christians know that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we do not deserve Him. So we don't need to defend our rights. We have more than what we deserve. We have been given grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness, been welcomed into a family. We have more. So Christians understand that they do not have the rights or live their life according to rights, but rather they live to serve Jesus and his kingdom. And sometimes that means people will invade our rights. And we have to work out how we handle that. And Jesus says, don't retaliate when that happens. I don't know how you feel right now, culturally, but our rights are going out the window. And Christians and the church have an important place in culture that we have to work out how do we handle when these things are being stripped from us how do we respond to that 
How do we stand up for truth and be men and women of truth and grace? That's a hard tension. And we're going to experience more and more of this as Shane encouraged us a couple of weeks ago. That, hey, something's coming and we need to be ready. And the natural instinct is to fight, retaliate, react. And Jesus says, think about that. He goes on in verse 43, Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The free and unselfish attitude of Christians towards personal rights as well as personal property is that it doesn't belong to us. Everything belongs to God. And God has given us everything freely. And therefore we hold on to our possessions loosely, lightly. Because it's just stuff. And none of the stuff is coming with us into the next life. So we're very, very loose with our possessions. Our car, our house, our clothes, our money, our career. All of these things, we hold them so loosely. Because they don't define us, nor are they our security. Because God, our Father, is our security. And He holds us in the palm of His hands. So if we lose a job, which some of us in this room already have because of some of the things that are going on in culture... Guess what? We trust our Father and He will provide for our needs. Amen? We need to be reminded of this. The Christian, the the, the man, the woman who are a part of the kingdom of God are willing to share and give generously. So what Jesus has done is He's hit a whole bunch of practical scenarios that that occur in a Jewish culture. And He says, hey, I want you to think about how you respond. What is your instinctive reaction to culture. What is your instinctive reaction to when your rights are taken, to when someone wants to insult you and humiliate you? And I know what my instinctual reaction is, and it's not the kingdom one. I want to retaliate. I know I joke that I'm not very strong, um, but I am a Lewis, which means in me, I have what we call the psycho gene. It may be because of some of the gingers in me, And there's maybe that that ginger thread, which is just psycho. Um, The way that I was taught to respond in my house was, you go hard, you go in, and you win. That's what my dad taught me. My dad was like, hey, if someone comes up to you and threatens you, you kick on the inside of the knee, you buckle their kneecap, and then you run. I was taught to fight. My dad's a fighter, or my brothers and my sister are fighters. We're scrappers. We'll fight dirty. Try me. (laughs) No, please don't. Please don't. I don't want to die. Um, and that, that, comes, that, comes, that comes at me. Even ask my kids, when they, when they start to throw disrespect and shade my way, you ask them about the response. Please don't actually ask them about the response. <laughs> my natural reaction is to go. And God has been teaching me over the years of like, that's not the instinctual reaction that I want from my people. I want it to be slow to anger. Pause. Think, then act. And so I love what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying here, if I can put it in my own words, like you've heard it said that actions speak louder than words, while reactions speak louder again. And in a world which is reacting, I don't know if you picked up on that, everything's vitriolic, just go online for four seconds. And you have one view and a hundred people are just going to slam you and smash you. 
there is something where we are this, this beautiful presence in a society that are calm. And we rationally think through how we want to respond. And we don't respond in anger. We don't respond in retaliation. And then Jesus goes on now to then speak about love. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Oh, wish you didn't say that. Oh, and pray for those who persecute you. But I don't want to. Well, if I do, okay, I am going to pray. I'm going to pray like David prayed. Kill him. <laughs> you read some of David's prayers, man. They're like from the heart. They're like, take him out. Where is your justice? Destroy them. I'm like, yeah, I'm praying that prayer. He says, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, think about how God treated his enemies. And, and let me just finish that. Of which you were once one. The Bible says very, very clearly, if you are not for God, you are against God. And you may not think that you, you are intentionally an enemy of God, but God says, if you're not a part of my kingdom, you're a part of the other kingdom. And that might be hard for us to hear, but it's, it's the reality. And so what God does is he actually saves his enemies. He, he turns those who are against him and brings them, changes them, and then sends him out as ambassadors for him. Is that not what you and I are? Men and women who were running away from God, rebelling against God, saying, no, not your kingdom, but my kingdom, not your way, but my way. And God saved us. God rescued us. God forgave us. God brought us in. And then God not only just sort of brings us in, then he sends us out and says, okay, now go and be my ambassadors to the world. Man, the way God treated me should have some effect on how I treat somebody else who might be against me because nobody was... Like the gap between who I was to God and who any other human being is towards me is not in comparison. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is God saying there is common grace. We often, we often go, why do good things happen to bad people? But why does bad things happen to good people? It's because God is a God of grace. That God gives us kindness and goodness is because He is gracious. And I love what He does here. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So He's gone to the lowest in society of the view of the Jewish people and go, that's what the, that's what the tax collectors who you hate do. They love their tax collecting friends. They hang out with their tax-collecting friends. They've got the tax-collecting social media group and they, they constantly Instagram their tax-collecting moments together. And they, they, they're Snapchatting their photos of like, look at me, I'm at my table where I'm collecting taxes. And they're doing the whole, they, they love each other. What profit does that do? And then he goes on and says, and if you greet only your brothers, in other words, if you greet only your, your Christian brothers and sisters, what, what more are you doing than others? Don't... Don't the Gentiles do that? Don't the non-believers do that? The church, the Christian community of God, goes beyond that because God went beyond that. Jesus is pointing to a righteousness that is clearly greater than the Pharisees. He's saying, we've got to go beyond that. We have to be so changed by the love of God that it oozes out of us. 
That even those who insult us, even those who try to harm us, even those who come for our rights, that we are able to say, yeah, but we love you. And not just, not just do it with the Christianese, bless your brother, bless your sister. Which, It's like, no, actually, pray for them. I've said this a million times, it's really, really hard to hate someone that you genuinely pray for. It's really hard. So whenever we, we have disagreements, even in our congregation, I'll always say to you, how often are you praying for that person? How often are you praying for that person? You get two people praying for each other, all of a sudden they can come and reconcile way easier. Why? Because as soon as you start really praying for someone, your heart starts to get in line with God's heart towards them and you move towards them. And then he finishes, it says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This, this idea of being perfect here means to be wholehearted in our orientation towards God and His righteousness. He's going to say, uh, in a couple of weeks, he's going to say, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In the Old Testament, it's be holy as God is holy. Be set apart, be different. We don't, we don't listen to culture. We don't get our values from culture. We don't model culture. We model Christ. And, and it's really easy to model culture. It's really easy to follow the ways of culture. It's not easy to follow Christ because his way is hard. He's going to say this at the end of this thing, that his way is narrow. But it's that narrow road that leads to life. Now imagine a world in, where the, in which the church is known for its grace. Not scandal. Is known for love. Not scandal. Is known for the way it treats outsiders. Not the way that it handles money, treats others in a poor way. Like, doesn't our church generally have a bad reputation in culture? The only way we're going to change that is not through public persona and, and putting on a show. It's through individuals meeting Christians that go to those churches and go, well, that's, they're different from the picture I had of the church. And as they intersect with more and more Christians and more and more Christians, all of a sudden they realize that everything they're getting told about the, the church, which is very, very broken, is not exactly the same as what they experience. And so what Jesus eventually says is it's really hard for them to say bad things about you because they've met you. They know you. They've been invited to sit at your table. And then when they hear about your sexual ethic, they're like, huh, but you don't seem like a bigot. Your view on abortion, but you don't seem to hate women. And because they know us, they've experienced us, they find it really hard to say that because that's what they're getting told we believe and that's how we treat them. And they're like, but I know you. What if that was the, the response of the church? is that we keep going out and loving even our enemy as Christ has loved us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and dying for us. As so many of the epistles say, for we were once at odds with you, against you, and while we were yet sinners, 2 Corinthians 5, you, you died for us. You came for us. And God, many of us in this room didn't grow up in Christian homes. We, we were, we were cl it's clear in our own hearts even, in our own minds, that yeah, we, we were not following you. But even those of us who grew up in Christian homes, 
grew up going to church all the time. Even us had to be rescued by you, had to be saved by you, had to be forgiven by you. God, we were not walking with you. Yet you came. Yet you sought us. You pray for us even to this day in heaven. And God, our instinctual reaction when things come against us is often, so often, retaliation. Get back. Justification. And Father, I pray that you would help us to to know when it is right to stand up and to, to hold our ground in culture, but also help us to, to do that in a way which is still merciful and gracious and filled with love. God, give us the strength to, to know that. Give us the wisdom to know how to apply these things and when and how. But God, help us to be men and women that are still, regardless of, of when we stand, that we stand with love. We stand with grace. We, we have a tone about us. We, we have an aura about us which is peaceable. It's not vengeful. It's love. It's grace. It's mercy. For that is how you have treated us. God, may we be known as your kids, that you are our Father in heaven. May this particular church be known in our community because we are loving and kind and gracious. And God, help us to be wholeheartedly set to your kingdom and your righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.